Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, glaciers and Christmas decorations. They're getting smaller now, but they're getting smaller so much faster than we've seen in the past. Like there was really life underneath the ice and it was trapped there underneath the water. But the movement is wild. And so glaciers are always going a little bit faster, going a little bit slower. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe, leave us a rating or a review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much for all of your support. So our first guest studies glaciers, specifically what's happening to them, how they move, and what all of this means for the planet. This is glaciologist Dr. Tim Bartholomus. Why are glaciers important, basically? Globally, I mean, for hundreds of millions of people that live around the coast, it's sea level rise. You know, it's because when glaciers melt, all of that water that had been on land and kind of stuck up, frozen, melts, runs off into a river and then goes into the ocean and sort of filling up the ocean a little more. But when we look at kind of glaciers as a whole, what's essentially happening with them right now? You know, glaciers are found all over the world, but all across the board, almost without exception, these glaciers are getting smaller and they're getting thinner mostly on the order of about like one or two feet every year, every single year, year after year after year after year. And it's kind of remarkable how consistent globally, they're all about the same, one to two feet thinner every single year. Why would that be, right? Like, I mean, the world is obviously a big place. There's lots of factors, but why does this seem to be like so clockwork? It's, it's because the, you know, the dominant factor is sort of global temperatures. And even though weather in a different in different places is different all over the world, the global air temperatures are getting warmer. And as a result, the glaciers are getting smaller. That means that every single summer, they melt a little bit faster than, than they would if they were actually in balance. When we look at the glaciers, right? Like, are they pretty temperature resilient in the sense that like, okay, if they're doing this, this must be really big. Or it's like, okay, these things are sensitive. They change all the time. They're really good, faithful indicators of temperature. So they're very much responsive to temperature. And so if temperatures are getting colder, the glaciers are going to get bigger. And if the temperatures are getting warmer, the glaciers are going to get smaller. And so as, you know, over millions and millions of years, as the temperatures on the earth have fluctuated and, and the temperatures have fluctuated in the past, the glaciers get bigger and smaller in response to those changes in global temperature. Now, one of the things that's kind of most uh, interesting, if you'll allow that, is that the glaciers that are getting, they're getting smaller now, but they're getting smaller so much faster than we've seen in the past. And so, you know, you'll hear like, yeah, the earth goes through cycles. And yeah, certainly it goes through cycles. But it's, it's really the changes now that are happening that we're seeing over the last, you know, decades that are so much faster than we've experienced or that we have any evidence for of ever happening in the past. And so that's what's really getting people's attention. That's what's, you know, goes into headlines. 
I feel like I'm going to ask this in a bad way, but I think you'll understand what I'm talking about in the sense. But like, is there any chance that, okay, we've never really experienced this before, or at least documented it before. Is there any chance that we're seeing these big changes because somebody forgot to carry the one or something like that? Like, oh, wait a minute, maybe we miscalculated and this is just what happens. That's a great question. And I think that the the sort of the way that that sciences works that it's so broad and so distributed that everybody is sort of doing their own thing that if it was a matter of like a math mistake somebody would catch it really quick and in fact there was a um a really significant effort somebody sort of decided well, okay, great. I know that NASA is measuring these things. And I know that there are climate centers in the UK that are trying to measure temperatures and glacier changes. Everybody's trying to do this. Maybe they've all got it wrong. So somebody went ahead and they funded a brand new group of physicists with no prior climate experience to say, all right, I'd like you to start at ground zero, start at scratch and just redo all the calculations, just like, let's, let's forget it. Let's do it all again. And basically this new group basically came up with the same answers as NASA and NOAA and the UK groups and the European groups and the Australian groups and the Korean groups, all these folks that are doing it and measuring glacier change and global temperature changes, they keep doing it and they keep getting the same answer. So, so no, it's, I mean, it's impossible that this is uh, a mistake. Well, that's good. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great. But, okay. Yeah. You know, for somebody like myself, right? Like, okay, I get it. This is bad. But I don't really understand how bad it is or why it's so bad. Yeah. Like, yeah, can you, totally. Can you so- kind of explain that a little bit? Like, okay, yeah, all right, I get it. But I don't get it. Right, right. So I said at the kind of the kickoff that the biggest sort of punchline for glaciers is sea level, right? And so you've got a certain amount of water on Earth. There's really only just so much water on Earth. And it's either going to be in the ocean or it's going to be on land, right? It serves some of it gets into the clouds every now and then. And there's groundwater too and aquifers that we, you know, use to drink. But mostly the water is on land or it's in the ocean. And so when you melt a glacier or you melt the Greenland ice sheet or the Antarctic ice sheet, these enormous glaciers, I mean, they're really like uh, Antarctica is the size of um, North Antarctica is half the size of North America. So it's huge. And so when Antarctica gets a little bit smaller, like even though like one or two feet thinner a year, it's that's a huge change when you consider how much ice is getting lost from the land and going into the ocean. And so what this is contributing to is that the overall, all around the world, the ocean is getting, um, you know, it's rising at the rate of about one inch every decade, right? The oceans are rising about one inch every decade. And like, okay, one inch doesn't really seem like that's that big of a deal. But you add this up over, you know, over 100 years, and then you've got a foot. And in some places, depending on the geology or what else is going on, some places are seeing the sea level rise at the rate of about two to three feet every 100 years, right? So 
And that's like, that's happening right now. There are places in kind of like the, you know, Western Texas or on the Eastern seaboard in the U.S. that, that there are, you know, oceans rising at a, you know, a couple inches every decade. And so the prospect is also that might get worse. And again, if air temperatures warm more, then the glaciers are going to melt faster and that water is going to go into the ocean. And so that, you know, that can be a really significant thing. Right. And then when you think about it, like, okay, so four inches is not that much, but that's the whole planet. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's yeah, a yeah. lot. It's so, a huge amount of water. Do we have any idea, like, okay, if all of the glaciers go, we've got this much more water? I mean, this is a bonkers number. If all the glaciers melt, we're talking about 200 feet worth of ocean water. The oceans are going to be 200 feet taller than they are today. That's basically goodbye, Florida. Five feet, 10 feet is goodbye, Florida. 200 feet is like a global apocalypse. The one thing that I've wondered about in this regard kind of is like, okay, so the glaciers obviously contain not just a massive amount of water, but they also are really heavy. So when they but they shrink, like what happens to the land that used to be under all that weight? Yeah, great question. Um, well, the, the land actually does pop back up. It's sort of like a little cork or a, like a toy boat in the bathtub. I've got a little three-year-old. And so, you know, you push your little finger on it and then the boat goes lower. And then you, if you remove that ice, then the land underneath it pops back up. And in fact, that's actually happening uh, in places, you know, right next to glaciers in Alaska, where the the um, the ocean is actually getting relatively lower because the land is popping up, and so the loss of glaciers in Alaska actually means l- falling sea levels, just because the land is rebounding. It is it is rising back up as you've removed weight off the top of it. That's kind of crazy. Now, I mean, is that just in a, like a small, relatively like localized area, yeah. or like no, no, the whole damn state's going up? No, no, it's it, that's in a relatively um, the, in a relatively local area, like right around the glaciers. Now, because the Earth's shell, its rocky, hard, rigid outer shell, is really stiff. Now, when you actually, it's sort of like a ruler. Like if you can imagine if you push down on one, on the ruler on one spot, it's actually going to pop up in another spot. And so the whole kind of plate, the whole rocky shell of the earth flexes in response to these loads. And so even though Greenland right now is, is getting smaller, right? The Greenland ice sheet is getting smaller. And therefore, the coast of Greenland is rising. That is actually also compensating with sea levels in, say, North Carolina, where you've you've now reduced the weight in Greenland. And so that's right. So Greenland is rising, but North Carolina is lowering. It's like a it's like on a big seesaw. The whole crust is like a seesaw. And so you take the weight off one spot, it rises, but then the other spot further away falls. 
just because it's flexing. The whole shell of the earth flexes. Have we figured out all the kind of unintended consequences of this? Or are there more things that like, oh, wait a minute. Now this is happening. So there's all kinds of things that can affect sea level. And so sort of flexure is one of them. Changes in ocean currents are another. Um, the uh, You've got the sort of the, 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 the ice, again, because it's massive, actually um, has a lot of gravitational force to it. And so the ice actually attracts the ocean to the ice. And so if the ice is getting, if the ice is melting, then it's going to have less gravitational attraction. And then the ocean spreads out away from the former ice sheet. So that is yet another factor, right? So we've got a good handle on, you know, people are kind of digging into the intricacies of this, but the kind of the broad principles of it are, are pretty well understood now. And we can actually, what's kind of remarkable is that, right? So the, I said that the, you know, oceans are rising by about an inch every decade. We can exactly basically parse out of that inch and we can say about a third of that is due to the glaciers melting. About a third of that is due to the shrinking of just the Greenland ice sheet. And about a third of that is due to the warming up of the oceans. The oceans are getting warmer and then expanding because they have more heat in them. You know, warm things expand, tend to expand, cold things tend to shrink. Um, and so, uh, you know, the ocean absorbing heat is actually making sea level rise a little bit. Is there any, is there any like positive signs or good signs that like, okay, but we got this going for us. The amazing and the positive thing is that, you know, if you still want glaciers and you want to reduce coastal flooding, the amazing thing is that the transition away from things like oil and gas and coal is happening way faster than anybody thought was possible a decade ago, right? Every, you know, we've had solar panels and wind turbines for a long time, but the rate at which they're getting adopted now is unbelievably fast. It is now, there's more new electricity generation from those renewable sources, from those brand new technologies than from any of those kind of the old 20th century uh, resources. And it's now cheaper if you're going to run a power plant. It's cheaper in most places to do it by installing a solar panel network or set out array of wind turbines than it is to build a new coal plant. So it's actually, even if you don't care about glaciers, just follow the money and do the right thing for the planet by getting away from those old resources. So the rate at which people are switching um, is just so much faster than we thought. Now, we need to do more of that, but we're headed in the right direction. And the worst things that we thought were going to happen a decade ago, like a decade ago, you may have heard about like the Paris Climate Accords or, you know, these different kinds of big international bodies that get together. And about a decade ago, they really thought like, okay, well, we're really effed. Like we're, we're making terrible decisions. 
everything is in headed in the wrong direction. And in that last decade, people are starting to turn the wheel and get away from those worst outcomes. Now, we need to keep turning, right? We need to keep pulling on those levers. But, you know, the worst things that were seen possible a decade ago are no longer on the table because of technology and engineering and, you know, economics. Isn't that funny in the sense like we need to do this to save ourselves? Nah, we need to do this because we can make some money. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right? We'll do that. Hey, but whatever I mean, works. That, I mean, isn't that so much better? Like you don't even have to worry about people's values. Everybody values having money in their wallets, right? Right. So let's really follow that decision. Right, right. Like, I we're doing the planet. You can make 10 bucks. Oh, well, then let's go ahead. Um, yeah. Whatever works for it. Kind of shifting a little bit away from the climate change stuff. Um, yeah. When we talk about a glacier, like, is a glacier just a glacier? Or is there, like, other parts of the glacier? Like, when I imagine it, it's like, all right, that's the glacier. Yeah. But what's kind of in the glacier? We make a distinction between valley glaciers or cirque glaciers, Piedmont glaciers or ice sheets, ice shelves. I mean, all these kind of terminology jargon stuff. But it's really all ice formed from snow that moves, right? That's what a glacier is. And so some of these ice sheets, you know, the, like the Antarctica or Greenland ice sheet, which are, you know, continental scale, are just really big glaciers formed from snow that move. Now, the movement is one of the things that I am particularly fond of. I mean, that's really where, that's kind of what, how I got into glaciers into studying glaciers. And that's what a lot of my research is on, is trying to figure out what makes them move. And, you know, when I was first getting into this, I actually thought that glaciers, I mean, that studying glaciers would be like watching an ice cube on your kitchen counter melt. I was like, really? Like studying glaciers? You know, it gets hot, it melts. What more do you need? <laughs> yeah. But, but the movement is wild. And so glaciers are always going a little bit faster, going a little bit slower. And most glaciers, on average, are moving about like 300 feet every year. They kind of flow downhill, down the mountain, about 300 feet per year. So that's like one foot every single day. It's kind of like a remarkable thing that like, you know, they're really chugging. Now, sometimes in the winter, you know, glaciers will move a little bit more slowly. In the spring, in the summer, they'll move a little bit faster. And then there are some glaciers that, call, that we call them surge-type glaciers because they'll go 10 or 100 times faster all at once. And so one of the glaciers that I'm studying actually moves up to 100 feet in a day. Like, it's, it's, that's a huge amount of motion, right? But then this glacier all of a sudden will just kind of like shut down, right? So it'll surge and it'll do this 100 feet a day for a period of like a year and a half, two years, and then shuts down, like close for business, nothing doing for another five years, 10 years, 30 years. And then all of a sudden, a switch goes again. And the glacier all of a sudden starts rocking and along again, right? What did, what'd you figure out? Like, have you figured, have you figured anything out? Or like, well, we don't know yet. It's these glaciers, so, so glaciers move faster when you add water to them, right? And so, but only when you add the water. If you keep adding the same amount of water, 
then the glacier can evolve and adjust to handle and transport that water. So there's actually a lot of liquid water mixed in with the ice. And so, right, I mean, if you go visit a glacier, say Mount Rainier, or you go to the Alps or something like that, or you just, you know, we watch a movie about a glacier, what you'll see on the top is, you know, hard ice and snow. But underneath these glaciers, there's all tons of water. And that water, how much there, how much water there is and where that water is and how does that water flow underneath the glacier, like through a, almost like a set of like arteries, like, you know, the arteries in my body, there's a whole set of arteries and plumbing underneath the glacier that moves the water. And so some of that water, if that water gets stopped up and stuck underneath the glacier, then you can sort of build up the water pressure underneath the ice and then cause the glacier to really start to flow a lot faster. And so some of these glaciers just are in a real sweet spot where they're not able to get rid of all of that water. And then that leads to something like a glacier surge. How is there water underneath the glacier? Like, but wouldn't that, why wouldn't that freeze? It's like the ice cube in your water. Right. If you stick an ice cube in, uh, in your water, right, initially, that ice cube is going to start to melt. But as it's melting, it's going to cool down the water until your water, your glass of water, and the ice cube are both at exactly the same temperature. And at that point, at that freezing point of water or the melting point of ice, then the water and the ice can exactly coexist. With oh. no freezing or melting taking place. And there you can have an ex a perfect mixture of ice and water simultaneously. Like I get it as long as I don't think about it. That's one of the things that you're like, okay, well, how, what's the temperature of this ice, right? Is this ice, right? It's obviously it's frozen, but is it, is it a lot colder than freezing? Is it, you know, so like, you know, freezing point of water, 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Is that water, is that ice really like 20 degrees Fahrenheit? No. We know that it is exactly at 32 degrees Fahrenheit because we see both water and ice coexisting. And therefore, it is at exactly 32 degrees Fahrenheit, exactly the freezing point of water. So when the glacier moves, does it move like, all right, the whole thing moves? Or is it like, okay, this part goes and this part goes? It's a combination of both, actually. So the whole thing you'll get, you know, if you think about like a column of ice, the entire column of ice will be moving over the rock and sediment below it, just like, a, like an, ice, uh, an ice cube uh, sliding over sandpaper, right? The whole ice cube moves over the sandpaper and the whole thing stays as a block. But given long enough and given enough sort of stress, right? Given enough kind of gravitational force, the ice itself actually changes its shape like molasses or honey. And it flows over the top of itself as well. So it's also kind of creeping to kind of like fill in any gaps. It's, it's, um, like, you know, like motor oil, it's this like viscous sludge that is just oozing down the mountains. 
And so glaciers move through both of these two different ways simultaneously by moving as a block, like the ice cube over the sandpaper, and also the kind of oozy sludge where the top of the glacier is going to flow a little bit faster than the bottom of the glacier just because it's slipping oh, over see. the sort of the layers of ice beneath it. As they move, are they kind of like, okay, it's taking everything in its path with it. Like it's going to destroy anything in front of it. Or can they be susceptible kind of to the environment around them? You know, they do rip down mountains. And there's a whole fascinating uh, way to think about mountain building where a mountain range will grow, 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 grow until it gets high enough. And then you can start to form a glacier on top of it if it gets high and cold enough. And then the glaciers, because they're so effective at eroding and ripping out and tearing out rock, they will rip out the rock and keep the mountains from going any higher. And so there's a, this, uh, this idea is called a glacial buzzsaw, right? Where you, you keep the plate tectonics are pushing up the mountains, but then you get the mountains get tall enough that the glaciers start to just, just keep ripping off the tops of those mountains so that the mountains can grow no taller, right? So maybe part of the, you know, you want to know, well, why are the Himalayas high and maybe no higher? It's because of the glaciers. The glaciers are actually preventing and ripping out rock to keep the mountains from getting any taller. Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Yeah, absolutely. So kind of looking worldwide, is there one glacier or a couple of glaciers or an area that glaciologists are looking at and being like, that, that's going to be the signal for everything else? There are a few especially big glaciers that seem to be especially sensitive. And so one of those glaciers is called the Thwaites Glacier. It's in Antarctica. And it's, it's a real, I mean, it's uh, the glacier itself is about 60 miles wide. Right? So one glacier that's 60 miles wide, and then it, it kind of flows up into the interior of the ice sheet, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles. Like it's a monster big glacier. And it seems to be melting uh, from below due to kind of warm ocean water, right? So this is a glacier that is formed on land, but it gets down to the ocean. The warm ocean water seems to be melting that. And this is a glacier that seems to be changing especially fast. And that part of Antarctica is shrinking a lot faster than the other parts of Antarctica. And so that's one glacier that people are really like, uh, it has the potential to go a lot faster than it is even now. And folks are really watching that very carefully to the point that actually the US and the UK a few years ago said, this is so important that we want to you know, team up, make like, uh, you know, uh, the Avengers or something like that. There's some kind of like superhero team of, of get everybody together and let's really make a big push to understand how Thwaites works, how this one glacier really works. And so they sent a big ship down there and some helicopters and lots of scientists to all really make a whole bunch of different measure, measurements to try and better understand how Thwaites Glacier works. 
did we do we did we figure it out <laughs> do we know yeah people are trying to better understand okay are there sort of tipping points or thresholds where you're like uh okay if the glacier melts just a little bit too much then then we're going to go into a big kind of uh, a big sort of feedback of 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 changes that that we can't really control anymore is there kind of a tipping point in the sense that like look if we cross this it doesn't matter what we do uh, there are tipping points, and Thwaites is one of the glaciers that has one of these tipping points. Now, there's still too much, unfortunately, that isn't known about the intricacies of how glaciers work to say exactly where that is. To say, all right, tomorrow, that's it. You know, we're going to get there. You know, we don't exactly know if the threshold is going to, you know, what that threshold looks like. Yeah, we kind of know there is a tipping point. We just don't know where and when. Yeah, exactly. Is is there anything that we can do in the sense like, is there any research looking into things like, okay, not just kind of reducing the impact of climate change, but like if we buy these really big fans or like anything kind of a technological means that like, okay, we can do this and we can take care of this. I mean, certainly by far the easiest and most surefire way to stop the glaciers from melting is to stop heating up the air, right? That, like, that's, you know, and, and we said that even makes economic sense. Now, one of the interesting things is that people are also trying to figure out, like, all right, is there something, is there a way, like you're saying, that we can engineer the glaciers to make them not melt as fast? And so in just two weeks, actually, I'm going to a little workshop um, to better that's focused on sort of glacial geoengineering, right? Is there a way that we can uh, cool down the bottom of a glacier, right? Can, can we make it freeze onto the rock and sediment below? Can we, can we pump water out of the bottom of the glacier? Can we reduce the way at, or the rate at which the hot, warm ocean gets in and circulates underneath these ice sheets and is melting the ice from below, right? So people are, glaciologists are trying to figure out if there is something feasible that we could do to like better anchor these glaciers in place. Um, but right now it's still kind of very much in this sort of the realm of sci-fi. Uh, you know, is it possible? I don't know. The one thing, I don't know anything about this, but the one thing that has always kind of interested me is like, okay, so there's all that weight and that pressure. How does that not create the enough heat to then melt the ice, right? Because yeah. I think of like the core of the earth, right? Like that's all the heat from the pressure, but like how does that, how does a glacier get around that? So that does actually happen. Now, the rate at which that happens is really, 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 really tiny. And this exists underneath the sort of, you know, the Antarctic ice sheet, right? Antarctica is two miles thick of ice. Uh, and that is, you know, that's warming up the ice underneath it. And so that's part of why, even though the top of the Antarctic ice sheet could be like negative 40, like the coldest temperatures ever experienced on Earth, but the bottom of the ice sheet is at exactly 32 degrees. Is there any chance that we may be exposed to like new organisms or diseases or things as these start to melt? Like, have you ever found like, oh, that's not, that's weird. It seems very unlikely. Now, the, 
people are drilling through some of these glaciers. There was a project in Antarctica um, maybe five, 10 years ago where they drilled through the glacier into a lake below the glacier. There was actually like a pond, a lake underneath the ice sheet, like of liquid water. And so they drilled into that and sucked up a little bit of that water really carefully and then, you know, brought it to a microbiologist and said, what's in here? And, you know, there were marine, you know, microorganisms, like stuff that lives in the ocean, stuff that is, you know, totally like there was really life underneath the ice and it was trapped there underneath the water. Now, they didn't discover any, you know, Michael Crichton, you know, stuff like any kind of uh, secret viruses or unknown bacteria. But, um, you know, when you when you look with a new set of eyes, sometimes you find new things. Can you kind of explain like, OK, so what's happening right now? We're watching a glacier. Yep. What is it called? Yeah. So this is called iceberg calving. And so this is another thing. This is another one of my areas of research, actually, is to how do glaciers that flow into the ocean break apart? And sometimes they break apart more quickly or sometimes they break apart less quickly. And so this is a glacier in Greenland called Jakobshavn Ispray or Jakobshavn Glacier. And this is a glacier that flows into the ocean and it is... Uh, about uh, two to three thousand feet thick, Good right God. here, and so um, you know we're talking like top of the Empire State Building or top of the Space Needle, like you know, make dwarfing those elevations, right? So this glacier, thousands and thousands of feet thick, and it, when it breaks apart into the ocean, some of those blocks break apart um, intact, and so they are a three thousand foot tall column of ice that then sort of slowly rotates over and um and it sort of slowly capsizes and so we're watching here a piece of the glacier that is broken cracked and then capsized into the water and you see you know water pouring off of this stuff you know these things these events some of these calving events can take, you know, 10 minutes for this to happen. And you're just watch and watch. And I, I was lucky enough to see this in, in Greenland myself a few years ago. But you're, you almost, it's happening so slowly that you're like, is there even anything happening? But it's, you know, miles away. It's right, it's miles away from these cameramen. And it's at such a huge scale that it happens, you know, a second to second, you can barely notice, but over 10 minutes, you're like, oh my God, that's like, you know, the size of a city, like the size of a city just like flipped over, creating this monster wave. Man, I would get the hell out of there. Oh, yeah. So what's with the color, right? Like, well, how does it, why does it have that color of kind of like that dark? bluish glacier ice is white because there's so many like you get so this. many some of these um you get these air bubbles in the ice as the ice starts to break down and those air bubbles are just the right size that um 
that they kind of reflect and they scatter the light back in all directions and at all different wavelengths. And that's what makes glaciers look white from above. Now, in some of those images, what we were seeing was glacier ice that had just broken and um, had just fractured and it had not begun to melt at all in the least. And so that ice um, didn't have any air, air bubbles in it, didn't have anything to scatter all of that light back at our, our eyes. And because it didn't have those scatterers, it looked it didn't look white. It looked really dark blue because instead of the getting scattered by the air bubbles, it gets kind of um, that light gets to penetrate deeply into that ice. And as it's going, as it's penetrating into that ice, all of the kind of the red wavelengths, the red part of the spectrum and the orange and yellow part of the spectrum, that all gets absorbed by the ice. And what ends up getting reflected back then is the unabsorbed light, which is the blues, right? This is sort of why, why you know, if you swim to the bottom of a swimming pool and kind of look up, all of the sunlight looks kind of bluish, you know, right? This is why water looks blue to us is that, that the reds are getting absorbed the blues end up kind of reflecting some reflecting back at our eyes. That's pretty much all the questions that we got. Is there anything that you think that we missed or kind of how can people learn more? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of work um, out there trying to figure out how glaciers work. Um, you know, I think that the, the keys are glaciers are, you know, glaciers are awesome. They're beautiful. They, you know, affect their ecosystems. They move. And, you know, and they melt, unfortunately. And so I think one of the ways that there's a lot of, um, a lot of kind of media coverage now, you know, um, that about, you know, how, how these glaciers are changing. And so kind of just keeping an eye on that would be great. I want to thank Tim so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. And we've also included his information in the episode description. If you want to see some of the things that we talked about, where we're watching this glacier just melt and fall into the ocean, the YouTube version of this interview will be live on December 7th at 12.30 p.m. Pacific. Okay, now let's bring in John Schull and get to the pointless part of the show. Do you think that our species will survive? No. Yeah, I don't really either. Do you think that we do it to ourselves, or do you think that, like, external force? Uh, I don't think we'll ever... We, the, our species will not end because of a, a man-made problem. I'll put it that way. Oh, I think we'll do it to ourselves before something else happens. I would actually rather us do it to ourselves. Like, if I was to find out later on, wherever I go after I die, that like, oh, yeah, the whole species went out. Like, how would we do it? Alien invasion. Like, ah. Oh. Dang, they got us. How'd we do it? Oh, we blew ourselves up. Oh, okay, well, as long as we did it to ourselves. I mean, I just can't see, I can't see a man-made something ending life as we know it. I think we're much more delicate than you think. I think we just need to tip the system a little bit. Like, if we start running out of water, that's a big problem. 
Well, good thing I live in the greatest state in the union, surrounded by water. Right. Yeah, you'll be surrounded by water. There won't be any jobs there for people or any kind of infrastructure there for to support them because it's all collapsed over the last couple of decades and all the sports teams are terrible and don't even try to bring uh, up the Detroit Lions because you know that ultimately they're going to find a way to be the Detroit Lions and lose probably hilariously by somebody running out of the back of the end zone. I, I'm sorry. How, how did uh, how did the college football uh, seasons go for any team? And who won the championship? Who won the championships this year? Did Michigan win it yet? Then I wouldn't be saying anything because right now you're talking about I, I'm leading in the second quarter. Great, it's not the game's not over. The second quarter. I mean, if you want to break it down, the Red Wings are third in, in their conference. I mean, we can break it down if you want. Break you it want. down. How many championships has Detroit won in the last thirty years? That that's irrelevant at this exactly. Point. Thank you. I mean, I, I'm curious. Like, what do you think it would be then? Like a meteor? Do you think it's going to be something within ourselves? Nuclear bomb? A, a natural a cataclysmic event? If you had to, if you had to put your money on something, what would you put your money on happening? I would put my money on us doing something that we think is going to be great, and then watching the unintended consequences of that wipe us off the earth. I'm not saying that it would be like AI. But I could see us like, we just invented this, and it's going to take over everything for us, and we won't have to do anything. And then the next thing you know, it's going to just take over everything. But I think it will be absolutely something we do that we don't see coming at all. And something that's benign at first, and then we're like, oh, crap. AI is scary because unlike, you know, if those robots, if that technology was to turn on us, there's no emotion, right? There's no human emotion. There's nothing. They would not care at all if they just mowed down 100,000 people in a day. There's nothing to appeal to, right? Anyways, maybe we should move on to something lighter, uh, like shout-outs. Okay. Outs. We need an echogram or whatever they're called, so it can be like, shout-outs, outs, outs, outs. Uh, all right. Kane Mori, Jasmine Hansen, hmm. Jacob DeLapara, Daniel Rusick, Joe Gilbert, Jonah Allen, Frederick Eustad, Garrett Brummer, Tristan Govinder, and Ash Alvarado. Alvarado? I'm pretty sure it's Alvarado. Probably Alvarado, yeah. Uh, for, the, for the next shout-outs, can you find a way to find people only with famous actors' names? They have to have a last name or a first name with famous actors. <clears throat> sure. I mean, if you want me to be specific, I mean, I can go, go all Bob's probably. I mean, our social media, we have a great following. They de definitely love to hate on me, which is great. Yeah, let's let's in the new year, let's really try to have more of a theme for the shout-outs. Okay, that sounds good. Okay. What if I just what if I just sing them? That's fine. Have a theme, right. whatever that theme is going to be. It can be movie-related, sports-related, song. But I still can't do polls. I don't get it. Uh, all right. Here's a couple of bangers for you. Uh, I'm going to ask this question first, which leads into the actual question, because okay, I have a feeling okay, you're, you're okay. I have a feeling you're going to say no to this, which is going to completely ruin the question. But I'm going to try. Uh, have you ever participated in a secret Santa or white elephant uh, gifting program? I believe so. I believe that I have. I know that I have been invited to it. I'm not sure if I actually did it, but I believe so. So my follow-up question to that is, are you a are you not being considerate or being an a-hole for the lack of better terminology if you choose to not participate in either of those things? 
No, I don't think so. If you don't want to participate, you don't want to participate. I don't like the idea that we all have to participate in everything all the time. Like, what if I don't want to do something? I don't even think that you should have to have reasons for not doing something. If you don't want to do it, it should end at, like, why aren't you doing this? I don't want to. Okay. Kind of like taking a sick day, right? Like, your employer doesn't have to ask you why. Actually, they're not supposed to. There should be no follow-up questions in relation to personal decisions. That's my personal opinion, right? Do you want to do this? No. Okay. <laughs> All right, then. Fair enough. All right. Call it there. Right. Do you want to go to the company holiday? No. That's it. Okay. All, All right. right. That's it. Moving on there. All, All right. right. Um, let me see here. Let me get my camera back in focus. My yes, hair gel is throwing, throwing it out today. You got th- you got hair gel on both sides. You kind of went like a little Wolverine-y there. There we go. Yeah, my hair's getting a little. It's getting a little long. Thank you, by the Wolverine. I'll take that. I'll take that all day. Um, all right. Uh, which, by the way, I have a physical in exactly a month from today. So when I tell you I quit drinking and stopped doing everything else, that's probably why. Anyways, um, eggnog or a peppermint milkshake? Peppermint milkshake. I think eggnog is one of the most disgusting things we as a species have created. I don't understand why it exists. I don't understand why anybody <laughs> would buy it. I, it, to me, it's gross. I got drunk off of like eggnog in a mixed drink one time, and it was one of the worst, worst feelings of my life. It's just thick. It's awful. It's just terrible. Eggnog is disgusting. People make a big deal about candy corn, but eggnog is by far the bigger like holiday-themed offendant, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I'm a fan of White Russians, which is kind of like weirdly in the same family with all the, you know, the milk cream based, uh, you know, uh, liqueurs or or beverages. But man, there's something about eggnog that just is disgusting. And I've had hot eggnog, spiced eggnog. It's all disgusting. It's one of those things that even the words, like even the name eggnog should just be a symbol that like that doesn't even sound good. Like you want eggs mixed with something else. Yeah. Santa's balls. I mean, like, come yeah. on. What is eggnog? Do you know what it is? Uh, I believe it's a mixture. It's a, a milk mixture, obviously, with eggs, I believe. Do you say milk or milk? Milk. Milk. It's like M A I L K. Milk. Yeah, it, I, I never said it makes sense. It's just the way that it is. Is that a uh, is that a Midwestern thing? A northern Midwestern thing? Is that how people I don't in know. Michigan say it? You're from the Midwest. You should know this. But I'm from like the middle of the Midwest. Anyways, uh, eggnog is known as egg milk punch. So, Yeah, it's just, just disgusting to me. Traditionally made with milk, cream, sugar, egg yolks, and whipped egg. Christmas has some of the worst holiday foods. The worst traditional yes. holiday foods Christmas does, I think. Right? Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> yes. I, I mean, we can go through them, but yes, by far. Th- there's really nothing good about anything um, in terms of food for, for Christmas, I feel. Christmas cookies, maybe. Christmas cookies. Mm-hmm. Maybe. maybe. <sighs> I'm going to go ahead and say this. I don't think that there should be any other dessert besides ice cream. Why have any other kind of dessert besides ice cream? To me, that's just like, what can I get that's second or third or fourth best? Just have ice cream. Ooh, that's, dude. I mean, listen, ice cream is great, but there's a lot of other individual desserts that are much better than ice cream. 
name me one dessert that you would be like, that's better than a good ice cream. I mean, you're going to make fun of me, but here we go. Uh, tiramisu. What is that again? But doesn't that have ice cream in it? I mean, it can be served with ice cream, yes. I don't, I disagree. Uh, cheesecake. Possibly. Possibly. I would have I mean, a hard time choosing the cheesecake over an ice cream, though. If you gave me, like, chocolate ice cream and a piece of cheesecake, I would have a hard time. I mean, like a really good carrot cake? I mean, a really good any kind of cake? Get out of here. Right. Get, don't anyway. waste my time with that. I'm not. Listen, ice cream is great. I'm not saying ice cream isn't, you know, top of the food chain, but there are other desserts that are just as good, in my opinion. What about a nice apple strudel? <laughs> I can't even focus my camera because of that. What is um, it about as you get older, you start getting, like, more and more weird shit to eat? Like, you start off with just know. ice cream, and then you go to, like, you're having, like, fruitcake. As you get older, and like, rum raisin. You know, I was at the store the other day, and I saw Spam, and I haven't had Spam in a decade. And I was like, hmm, should I? I didn't, but I may. Oh, our poll is getting a little bit closer. The results were originally 70% that said, no, our species won't survive. It's down to only 60%. 60% of people think our species won't survive. I'll update it at the end of the episode. Well, a lot of a lot of positivity there, a lot of optimistic listeners i guess uh, of ours we're getting some more we're getting some more optimistic a little bit more optimistic people yeah all right well are are we are we already to the greatest part you asked of- one question did you skip all the other ones don't you usually have three you asked one and then tried to get immediately to candle of the month which no, is why I, I, I feel like whenever it's candle of the month i should just start with candle of the month because it's all you care about I get really excited. I get really excited, and you really disappointed me because I sent you a coupon or at least that, and you sent me the a smart ass comment. That back. wasn't a smart ass comment. You got overly sensitive for some reason. This is what I said. Okay, I have the text message, and I'm glad that you brought this up. I am okay. glad that you brought this up. Here's what you sent. Let me find it. Sent me a website link to the deal that you found, and I put, "Holy shit." Three wick candles for $10, that's a three wick candle, not three one wick candles, but a three wick candle for $10 has to be a catch. Nobody could offer a deal like that. Here's what you responded with. Why are you such a troll? This is what I responded with. What are you talking about? That looks like a good deal. And then you never responded again. You got overly sensitive because you were having an emotional night drinking and got upset. I mean, listen, I, I may have had a few, yes. However, you have to admit that prior conversations with you and I, almost every conversation is you being a troll. You admitted it earlier that you like I just never, to go. Well, yeah, I'm with sporting yes. related things. Yes, 100%. But I put three wick candles for $10. That's a legitimately good deal. Just, I, just want, I, I just want you to admit you were overly sensitive. I, I mean, I, I, my response was sensitive, but I, I think it was warranted <laughs> to you. Mm, see what happens. Were you how many beers deep were you? Did you go emotion? How many how many drinks before you get emotional? How many? Oh man, I mean it. It can. I mean you can ask some of my my best friend. I mean it can be one drink depending. It depends. Hmm. I mean now, nowadays I, I've actually I think as I've gotten older I don't I don't take that many as much to heart. Especially all your all, everyone out there's nice uh, nice comments when we post things. Um. 
I don't know. I mean, okay. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I'm usually fine with beer. It's when I start getting into liquors when it kind of messes mm. with my brain a little bit. Yeah. And that's usually a few in there. I wouldn't say that I start to get like emotional probably till five. I'll be happy and having a good time. I honestly think the sweet spot when it comes to drinking is two to five drinks. Two to five drinks over a three-hour period. Like, I would just love to maintain that kind of happiness. But you always go too far. Always go. That's it. You always go too far. Right. never go, you know, that's the thing. You you never stop when you should, but you you always keep going when you shouldn't. You know, It's, it's the way it is. I don't know how many times I've been, like, having a good time having a lot of fun and then be like, let's take a shot. And then next thing I know, I'm like waking up on the floor. Like, <laughs> well, that's spiraled out, spiraled out of control fast. I, it's always like, yeah, things are going pretty timid. You're controlling the pace and you have that one person, sometimes me, who's like, man, we need to, we need to spruce this up a bit. Shots. Yeah. I, I would, I would firmly be okay with not taking shots. I'm all right with that. As I get older, I'm right there with you. So, Okay. Do you have not have any more questions? I had two in there. You, you usually have three, and that was really just kind of one. So you phoned it in, so let's just go ahead. It's time. The outlaw candle connoisseur rides again. Candle of the month. I can never do the damn... Horse? Yeah. Well, I can't do it today. Well, Nick, let's ride off into the December candle of the month. I don't know why I'm talking like this, but I'm going to keep going anyways. <laughs> okay. It's, it's uh, go to target.com. It's... Wait, wait, are you still doing it or are you starting to lose it? I can't tell if you're still doing the accent or if you just like yeah. it or not. Oh, no, okay. I'm still in it for December's candle of the month. Oh, for some reason, I want to sound like this. Uh, it's called the Opal House Lidded Glass Jar Holiday Spruce Woodsy Candle. Say Holy that 12 times fast. Opal wind-juiced lidded holiday spirit candle. I don't know how you got juice in there, but close. Uh, no, essentially it's the Holiday Spruce Woodsy Candle uh, by, Opal, by Opal House. Uh, I don't know what the price will be when this episode comes out, but currently, when we're uh, recording this, you can get a two-wick, that is two, one, two-wick candle for about 10 bucks from Target. Mm, Good deal. Good deal. Obviously, Holiday Spruce is what you think it is. Uh, You're going to light it. It's going to be about 20 to 40 hours of burn time. Trust me, I've gone through two of them already. And uh, makes your house smell like like a spruce Christmas tree. It's amazing. Oh, is that what kind of tree a Christmas tree is? It's a spruce? I thought it was a fern. I mean, fir, but it can be a fir, it can be a oh. spruce. I think I think the more common Christmas tree is a fir. Uh, but, you know, spruce, you know. Really, if, if you wanted your, you can have any kind of Christmas tree, really. I mean, if you want to go out and cut down a pine tree, be a Christmas tree. Beech? An <laughs> oak? Sequoia? It's a redwood Christmas tree, 400 feet tall. Oh, man. Imagine the poor. I remember, uh, not that anyone else cares, but I'm going to bring this up. When we were in Orlando and somebody uh, set that like 300 year old tree on fire, were you still there for that? Yeah, I do remember that. It was the senator. It was like one of the oldest trees in (laughs) either the world or the United States. 
and they were doing drugs and accidentally set the oldest tree in the world on uh, fire. Man. Could you imagine I, that? Like, what an idiot. I mean, yes. Like, you're just sitting there, you know, blazing up next thing you know. <laughs> it probably all happens really fast. This is why I don't think that our species will survive. Because we had something that was in a secluded place. A protected tree that people would visit from around the world is one of the oldest trees in the world, which was ultimately set on fire by somebody doing meth, right? Like, it's going to be, how, how'd the world end? Like, well, Steve tripped and knocked out the plug, and then AI reset itself and took over the world. Like, it's going to be something like that. I mean, I guess, also, it, it could be something that minor, too, right? It could be literally Steve hitting reset on an AI design. And then they turn bad and kill us all. Right, right. Like, just one mistake. Like, I meant to hit, like, it was one of those questions where you're not sure which one's the, like, arrivals and departures at the airport where you're never sure which one you're supposed to be going to no matter what you're doing. <laughs> like, how much are you confused when you show up at arrivals and departures in the airport and you're like, well, what, wait, am I arriving? Are they departing? Like, do you have to think about it? No, I, I just get really angry at most airports I've been to picking up because they always have people there that you got to keep moving. You can't stay in here for 20 minutes. It's like, well, where am I supposed to go? The cell phone lot. Wait till the person is there. Then they call you from the cell phone lot and you leave and go get them. That's how you're supposed to do it. But what you really do is try to time it out perfectly. I'm showing up. Whatever time somebody just shows, tells me to show up at the airport, I'm showing up 15 to 30 minutes later without and no apology at all. I mean, to be fair, that's probably on time, though, isn't it? It usually works out to be about right. When your plane lands, that's when I'll leave the airport. I one time did not realize the person I was picking up's flight was delayed by two hours. So I made a 45-minute trip to the airport, only to find out I was an hour and a half early. So then I just sat there for, for two more hours. It was kind of embarrassing. Yeah, you can't really do anything. No, it's, you know. Uh, I feel like I should ask you more questions about your candle of the month, but did you try out other holiday tree themed scents? Like, did you smell a fern or a fur? No, I, I did one call. Well, I, I decided to go with a theme this year, like holiday, holiday magic, I will call it. So like, yeah. I got a couple that were like, like indoor themed, like holiday lights, Christmas magic. I have my favorite candle of all time. If you know what it is, I will resign from the podcast immediately. I don't. Well, sucks for you. I'll stick around. Tis the season. Best best, uh, best scent ever. I don't even know how to explain it. Why I have is a couple... it so good? If I could sum it up in a one sentence, all I'll say is it takes, no matter what age you are or where you are in life, it takes you to that happy place. Wow. That's one of the deepest things you've ever said in your life about <laughs> candles. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, I got, I, like I said, I got, I got, or like I alluded to, I got some, some tree ones. I have, I have one called uh, mistletoe. It's, you know, but no one's kissed me near it in a long I can, time. I can see why. I never understood that whole thing. Is that how you kiss? <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I don't pucker the lips, I don't think. It is weird to kiss people if you think about it. Like, you're just touching each other's lips. Like, what is that? A hug makes much more sense than a kiss. <laughs> yeah, it's our lips are weird things. 
It's such a strange thing. I don't really want to look at you while you're doing that face, knowing the <laughs> fact that you and your wife call each other. What is it? Hubs and bubs? Bubs and wubs? <laughs> Wubba and hubba. All right. Well, I don't understand. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. Listen, uh, can we go on to their top five, please? Sure. Sure. So our top five is top five types of Christmas decorations. What's your number five? So it pains me to put these on the list because of my father-in-law has ruined these forever. But I do think they bring joy, and I think there's a place for them, and that is inflatables. My number five is also inflatables. I think inflatables are a great decoration. I love like a big snowman. That's awesome. They're newer, but I think they can make their way way up the list very quickly. I have so many things that I dislike about them, but to save this joyful top five from becoming pessimistic, I'll just say I agree with you. Just for people who are maybe new and listening and wondering what's going on, John's, one of John's relative, regularly gives him inflatables, and he has like how many, 30 or 40 of inflatables in his house? (sighs) One Christmas, I think we had 29 up in my yard. And I don't have a very big yard, so I don't want people to think that, like, it, it 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 just looked terrible. Man, how ironic that people going by probably thought this guy really likes Christmas when in reality you hated it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean I feel like I have to I have to tell people the follow up of that story is how this certain family member then goes back to Florida and doesn't take anything down. So that year I basically ripped every inflatable out of the frozen ground and threw them away and when he came up the next year he was really hurt that I threw away the inflatables. Well, then he can come back and do the work, right? Yeah, if you're going to put... Thank you. Do the thank work you. then. If you want the result, you do the work. Hey, amen, brother. And I don't say that to you very often. Right. Okay, what's your number four? Uh, so I, this might be a, a, a personal choice, but if, if you don't have these and you're, and you're interested, you should definitely get them, and those are lighted garlands. What's a garland again? So it's it's it's, uh, it's I mean it's hard to explain. It's really just like a it's like a wreath. Um, it's like a wreath, but it's elongated. Oh, it's like so, a lengthwise wreath instead of a circle wreath. Yeah, and if you get them with like like the the white lights, the the crystal lights in them, uh, they can make for great indoor or outdoor decorations. My number four is a gingerbread house. I find it impressive to see some gingerbread houses, like when they make them huge and really intricate and detailed. But I would never personally do that, buy one, or anything like that. But a well-made gingerhead house, gingerbread house is like, oh, that's kind of impressive. So my number three is along the same lines, but and I don't even know what they're technically called. But like the Christmas villages, like the like the, you know the little ones that people build and they display in, in rooms. Where like some of them will be like literally like Christmas town. They have the little cars, the little people. Those are those are pretty cool. Okay, okay. My number three is a stocking. I love a good stocking. Stockings are good, man. That's an essential part. Yeah, I mean they're essential. I I don't know if I would put them on my top five decorations, but they're they're essential. Sure. Hmm. I feel like that's a little bit of a shot. At. What's your number two? This is where it gets complicated, I think. Two and one. Well, I think number one, it should be unanimous. If it isn't, then I don't think 
you're correct. Uh, but my number two is a snow globe. Oh, okay. I I would not put that as my number two, but I respect the opinion of I respect your love of snow globes. Answer me this, and anyone out there listening, if if and if you're a joyful person, of course. But anytime that you walk by a snow globe, what is your first immediate thing to do? You want to pick it up and shake it. Everybody does. I pretty much just walk by it without paying any attention. I honestly don't give a shit. Of course, you of course you would say that, but the, uh, other people. Can I make a poll? Can we ask the audience? I'm telling you, I think most people do that. Stop by and shake it or look at it. No, man. I just leave it alone. I tend to leave other people's things alone. That's how I <laughs> operate. I don't just pick up things in other people's house and then shake them around. Right? You, your, your stuff, I'm not going to touch it. That's how I operate. Well, you don't, you don't go from room to room smelling candles in other people's houses? That's so strange. That's How many uh, times have you been caught doing that? Too many to count, probably. You but it's not, like an, it's not like an awkward, you know, catch. It's just like, oh, hey, what are you doing in here? I'm like, sniffing your candles. No, dude. Anytime you find somebody in a room that they're not just like, why are you in not this like room? Me. I can't even – my camera can't even stay in focus because it knows I'm completely Right, because it knows. Right. It's like had to kick you out of there. It's just all the hair gel you got. I don't understand what's happening. It's like it doesn't want me to be in focus today. Because it's your hair gel. It can't you got too much spiky hair gel? It's focusing fine on the hair gel. It's probably just it's all right. I don't know what. It's actually probably your lighting. To be honest with you, it throws it off because you're not fully on one thing. You're all right, dude. I'm moving on. My number two is all a tree. Right. See, I don't. I don't. Uh, the tree is fine. It's what goes on the tree. I think that makes it. Oh, you don't have tree as your number one. I do not know. Oh, I thought that's what was your thing was going to be, but my number two is a tree. I could, I only put a tree in there because I think other people care about it. If we didn't have a tree, I wouldn't. I, I could care less. I was. Like just I was just the, put them in the corner. I'll, pref, I'll preface right now. On my honorable mention, I have a tree. I have ornaments. I have a Christmas star. However, my number one is Christmas lights. It's Christmas lights. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like the the animals that remind you of winter. There's only number. There's a unanimous number one choice. Right. <laughs> I, yeah, you got called out about your selections, but that's that's normal. <laughs> I I think that lights are number one because they signify that you're not the only person who's doing this. Like everybody's celebrating this at the same time. Everybody likes this time of year. Like everybody's kind of getting involved. That's why I think lights are number one. And you know it's 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 a uh, it's a a neighborly thing. It's a, a coming together thing. It's nice to walk down the street, drive down the street, and you see houses lit up. I mean, it's just it can be a community builder as well. The thing that I've always been fascinated is when you go past a, some like a neighborhood that has really good lights. Is the person who doesn't have any up? <laughs> like what did That's they me do right now? That's me currently, but it, that'll change this, this week. I hope. Oh, you got to get them up, man. You have to have them done. Okay, so it is December 4th as we are speaking. You have to have them done this week. You can't wait till the weekend. Yeah. That's too late. It has to be this week. Probably today. Well, I got well, I have about a four a four-day window. The, the entire weekend here it was rainy in 30 degrees. So I got I got to figure it out. Right? Not having a plan is a plan to fail. <laughs> All right. What is it saying? Right. A failure to plan is a plan to fail. Yeah, failure to plan is the plan to fail. 
I had mine up the week before Thanksgiving, earliest I've ever put them up. First person in the neighborhood got a little bit of looks about it, but I was ready to fight. How much do you you think your neighbors dislike you? Man, it's <laughs> a good question. Okay, of okay, let's just do the immediate ten neighbors around me, just so we can get a good percentage. It's hard because they might not know me. So it's difficult. Like if I went with the 10 neighbors that I think know who I am, Mm -hmm. 20%, maybe 30. 30% of my neighbors probably don't like me. I'm going to up that to 60% and uh, go smell my candles. You have 60% of your neighbors don't like you? I was talking about you. 100% of my neighbors love me. Okay. Okay. The only reason that, see, but I have two kids and they could maybe help me out a little bit or hurt me a little bit. Uh, what's in your honorable mention? Well, I said Christmas lights, Christmas star. Uh, I also have, uh, once again, uh, I have stockings and I have, this is kind of a, a personal thing, I think, but uh, a train set. Trains are always cool. This Dork. time of year. Yeah, well, whatever. What's on your honorable mention? <laughs> They're hot shot. I couldn't ever like really get invest myself in something like that, like a gingerbread village or like a Christmas village or like trains. That's a lot of work. It I is. Never and it's get expensive into too. Right. I could never get into a hobby that was expensive or required a lot of really effort. <laughs> the only that. thing that I ha- the only thing that I have is luminaries. They used to be those little things you put them on the ground and then you like put a bag over them. I don't think that they have them a lot very much, but they used to be luminaries were a big thing when I was growing up. So they started setting things on fire. Yeah. And people would just kick them over. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, leave us a quick review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. And let us know what you think are some of the best Christmas decorations. I'm not a big fan of the tree. I could do without the tree. But I really thought that that, would good, that that would be much higher on John's list and on a lot of people's lists. I do think that lights are the number one, but I think a lot of people would make a strong argument for Christmas tree. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.